Hello everyone and welcome to the December 6th edition of WorkCom Academy Weekly News. I'm Renee Foles with Floyd, Skern and Kelly. Let's get started with our litigation report. The Court of Appeal ruled that the denial of a claim by an insurance company does not defeat the exclusive remedy protection for the employer. Here's what happened in the unpublished decision of Donnell Gilbreth versus Holland Residential. Donnell Gilbreth was the vice president partner for the Southern California Division of Holland Residential Partnership. As part of her compensation package, she received a reduced rent unit at the City Place Condominium Project. She was expected to work out of her condominium as her base of operations throughout Southern California. Gilbreth was responsible for property management at several projects, which included where she lived and five other properties. Gilbreth took her dog for a walk every morning as part of her daily routine and, at the same time, noted anything about the property that needed attention. During one of these morning inspections, she noticed that one of the elevators had stopped working. She decided to take a closer look at it and call for repairs so the residents could use it and would not be angry with management. When she stepped in to inspect, she fell to the floor of the elevator and sustained serious injuries, which became progressively worse and required several surgeries. Gilbreth submitted a claim for workers' compensation benefits. The insurance company sent Gilbreth a notice of denial of claim for workers' compensation benefits. Because of this denial, Gilbreth commenced a civil action against the employer. In the civil action, the court granted summary judgment against Gilbreth based upon the exclusive remedy of workers' compensation. Gilbreth appealed, claiming that the denial of the workers' compensation claim stopped the employer from asserting the protection of the exclusive remedy doctrine. The Court of Appeal, in an unpublished opinion, disagreed. They concluded that it is clear that Gilbreth was acting within the course and scope of her employment at the time of her injury as a matter of law. She did not enter the elevator for her own use. Her action was for the benefit of her employer and part of her job as a senior manager responsible for oversight of the property. Although Holland Residential's Workers' Compensation Insurance Company may have denied Gilbreth's claim based on an erroneous determination that her injury was not within the course and scope of her employment, the insurer's denial of the claim does not constitute evidence that she was acting outside the course and scope of her employment at the time of her injury. The judgment in favor of the employer was affirmed. And now our fraud report. The owners of a Placer County concrete company have been charged with submitting false payroll reports and misrepresenting the status of employees as independent contractors to lower workers' comp premiums. The company is accused of owing the state $230,000 in back taxes. Thomas Bernhardt, the founder and chief executive of TB Concrete, in Granite Bay and his wife, Rachel Bernhardt, the company's office manager, are charged with 15 felony counts of payroll tax evasion and workers' compensation insurance fraud. Both are free on bail. In 1999, Thomas Bernhardt started TB Concrete, which performed concrete work for retail construction and other projects in Northern California.
Rachel Bernhardt prepared the workers' uh, paychecks and submitted payroll reports to the state and to its workers' compensation insurance carrier. Investigations found that the Bernhardts intentionally underreported wages by disguising the funds as payments made to independent contractors in order to illegally reduce the company's state payroll tax and workers' comp expenses. Because of the nature of their employment, TB Concrete's workers should have been classified as employees with legally mandated protections and benefits. And their wages should have been reported in full to the state and the company's insurance carrier. Investigators claim the company underreported the wages of 111 workers by $2.1 million. And in medical news, global drug makers have cut tens of thousands of jobs ahead of patent expirations on their top-selling products. And the pain is not yet over. More than 45,000 job cuts were announced by the pharmaceutical industry this year. Divisions across these companies, from sales to research to manufacturing, are still seen as vulnerable to additional cuts. Marketing expenses will likely continue to be the most heavily slashed. The vast sales forces for major drugs going off patent, such as Pfizer's Lipitor, are among the most obvious targets for job cuts. Industry analysts expect additional cuts of up to 2% of drug company workforces. More recently, Switzerland's Roach Holding announced plans to cut 4,800 jobs, or 6% of its workforce, over the next two years. Novartis said it sought additional cost cuts in manufacturing, marketing, and procurement but dismissed reports that it was readying huge layoffs to do so. A rolling wave of restructuring reflects the lack of major new drug launches to offset looming generic competition to multi-billion dollar medicines like Plavix for blood clots and Merck's Singular for asthma. AstraZeneca, which reported a 4% drop in quarterly sales late last month, said it was not done with its cost cuts. Germany's Bayer also announced a cost and job cut plan, and Pfizer recently said it expects to exceed its original target of a 15% workforce reduction related to its $67 billion purchase of rival Wayeth. While concerns over the patent cliff have dogged the industry for several years. In some cases, the entry of generic versions of brand-name drugs has picked up more quickly than Wall Street had anticipated. The entry of generics can cause branded drugs to quickly lose at least 80% of U.S. sales. But the amount can be 90% or more once multiple generics are available. In their latest quarter, Pfizer, AstraZeneca, Eli Lilly, Glaxo and Roach reported sales that were hurt by generics. Drug makers are also facing greater pricing pressure due to more recent developments such as the new U.S. healthcare law and price controls in European countries. And in financial news, Standard & Poor's Ratings Services has lowered its ratings on Fireman's Fund Insurance Company and its affiliates to A-plus from AA-minus. 
the outlook on the ratings is stable. The rating action reflects a decline in Fireman's Fund overall competitive position, weak underwriting results, and deterioration in the quality of the company's capital base. Partly offsetting these factors is the company's strategic importance to its ultimate parent, Allianz, strong presence in certain market niches, and its conservative investment strategy. S&P said Fireman's Fund has established strong niches in providing commercial coverage to the entertainment industry and personal lines products to affluent individuals. Also, the company is a major participant in the federal crop insurance program. The County of Los Angeles has just distributed their Risk Management Annual Report for fiscal year ending June 30, 2010. The report contains summaries of the year's losses and costs for the county workers' compensation, vehicle liability, general liability, and medical malpractice self-insured programs. Officials claim that a most positive aspect of the report was the relative stability of expenses in the workers' compensation program. Expenses increased by a modest 3.4%. This was particularly important given the nature of medical inflation and increased indemnity levels. Expenses related to medical treatment increased by 4.7%. Permanent disability expenses increased by 11.4%, but temporary disability expenses decreased by 4.4%. One potential reason for the decrease in temporary disability expenses is improvements in return-to-work programs. The number of new workers' compensation claims filed was also stable with a slight increase. The county's workers' compensation program is funded on a pay-as-you-go basis. Expenses continue for claims that were filed many years ago. A department's potential for achieving significant workers' compensation expense reduction is dramatically impacted by these older claims. Several new risk management goals were established for next year. The county intends to study the feasibility of establishing a pharmacy benefit management network to control workers' compensation pharmaceutical costs through increased generic use, formulary management, and drug utilization review. They will also assist departmental return-to-work staff to identify high-exposure workers' compensation claims by developing report generation tools that provide current payment data. And in regulatory news, the DWC has adopted new regulations updating the Workers' Compensation Information System, or WCIS, reporting requirements as part of its 12-point plan to more effectively monitor medical costs. The final regulations were approved by the Office of Administrative Law and filed with the Secretary of State on November 15th. The new regulations became effective also on November 15th. The new regulations will require the electronic reporting of claims information to the DWC, which will allow the DWC to identify key cost indicators in the system and formulate policies to keep costs under control. The new rules will increase the time for filing the first report of injury from five business days to 10. The regs will relax several data edits to allow easier transmission of claim information with fewer submission rejections and clarify the process for medical lien reporting. 
The regulations are found in the California Code of Regulations, Title VIII, Sections 9701 and 9702, and are authorized by Labor Code Section 138.6. The final statement of reasons for the rulemaking, a summary of public comments made during the rulemaking process, and DWC's responses to those comments are all available on the DWC website. The DWC has posted the fiscal year 2010-2011 assessment rates for the Workers' Compensation Administration Revolving Fund and other fund funds on its website. Insurance companies and self-insured employers will also receive assessment notices in the mail. The assessments are authorized by Labor Code Section 62.5 and 62.6. The 2010-2011 assessment of $404.9 million reflects a decrease in the aggregate assessment dollar amount of approximately $1.7 million from the assessment a year ago. In addition to fully funding the work of the DWC and partially funding the work of the Divisions of Occupational Safety and Health and Labor Standards Enforcement, assessments also fund anti-fraud efforts by the California Department of Insurance and local district attorneys and pay benefits to injured workers who, whose employers are illegally uninsured. And the fund also provides compensation to injured workers who already had a disability or impairment at the time of their injury through the subsequent Injuries Benefits Trust Fund. Insurers must pay the funding due to the state for policyholders and recover those funds from policyholders through workers' compensation policy surcharges and assessments. A new report raises serious questions about OSHA effectiveness. Since 1970, enactment of an OSHA, uh, OSHA workplace injuries are sharply down. But according to a workers' compensation research industry report, compliance remains spotty and easily preventable deaths continue. The report claims that American workers continue to be killed by hazards for which inexpensive protective measures have been available and well recognized for hundreds and in some cases thousands of years. As an example, every week one or more workers are killed in trench cave-ins. The three principal methods for preventing these cave-ins are sloping, shoring, and shielding. These methods are often ignored, even though required by OSHA rules for almost 40 years. The report also claims that most workplaces are not fully compliant with OSHA standards. About 65% of OSHA inspections result in at least one violation being cited. Compliance with OSHA is built on an honor system, and the gap between OSHA's resources and responsibilities is enormous. Few workplaces are being inspected, and when they are, more than half reveal violations. And in other news, Governor Schwarzenegger appointed former DWC Administrative Director Andrea Hawk to Sacramento's 3rd District Court of Appeal. The governor also named Vance Ray as presiding justice and Elena Duarte and William Murray to join Andrea Hawk as 3rd District Associate Justices. These 3rd District Court changes are the latest in a flurry of governmental appointments by Schwarzenegger as he prepares to leave office on January 3rd. Andrea Hawk will be paid nearly $205,000 annually to fill the vacancy created by the retirement of Justice Rick Sims.
Hawk has served as Schwarzenegger's top legal advisor since 2005. Prior to her gubernatorial service, Hawk was Administrative Director for the Division of Workers' Compensation from 2004 to 2005. Hawk has also worked with the State Attorney General's Office, the Public Employment Relations Board, and the Agricultural Labor Relations Board. Doherty and Murray are Democrats, while Ray and Hawk are Republicans. The State Compensation Insurance Fund named Tom Clark as its new Chief Operating Officer. Mr. Clark replaces Harrison Jerome, who retires at year end. Clark is a 30-year veteran at the Workers' Comp Insurance Carrier, which insures many of the state's small businesses. He most recently was President of Field Operations. In his new role, Clark will oversee marketing, safety, and field operations, as well as purchasing. That's all our news and events for this week. Please check our website daily for news updates, for past editions of our news, and for much, much more. And remember, you can subscribe to our weekly news podcasts and special reports using your iPhone, iPad, or iPod by searching for WorkComp Academy in the iTunes Store. Again, I'm Renee Foles with Floyd, Skarin, and Kelly. Thanks for joining us today. Please drop by again next week for more news.